Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed. Today we start off with an exhortation. This is from the Golden Grove Ecclesia and it's presented by our brother Pip Mansfield. Now this was originally given as an exhortation a few weeks ago and it's called The Examples of Zacchaeus and the Widow Woman and we would strongly recommend that you give this a listen. It's a wonderful exhortation and remarkable in its content and it's really encourages us as individuals to think on the Lord Jesus Christ and his association with those that he came into contact with. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, please let us know as always if you've got any comments. Um, either email us at christadelphianvideo at gmail.com or if you've got the facility on your podcast format platform then please just drop us a message there and we'll do our best to read it. Thank you very much and enjoy the episode. The final seven days of our Lord's ministry. That journey brothers and sisters to Jerusalem. And that journey, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the recording from Luke, commenced way back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And he described the commencement of this final week of our Lord in these words. And he wrote in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That moment that weighed heavily upon our Lord's heart was etched all over his face. His face, wrote Luke, was steadfastly set to go to Jerusalem. Some translations render that verse as he resolutely set out to Jerusalem. And another, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And a third one, he proceeded with fixed purpose towards Jerusalem. Luke 9 verse 51. And his face, brothers and sisters, displayed his mind declared his determination, and demonstrated his purpose. His face was set like a flint to go to Jerusalem. What courage, brothers and sisters, what, what resolve, what strength of character, what strength of will, what strength of unfailing obedience and complete selfless love that our Lord had for us sitting here and listening this morning. And there, looming before our Lord, like, like a huge, enormous mountain that cast the blackest and the darkest of shadows over his pathway, lay the greatest trial our Lord would face. The greatest suffering a sinless, innocent, obedient man would ever endure. And he was prepared to go through all this for us sitting here or listening this morning. And our Lord, for the last three years, 
Every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single moment, our Lord faced enormous pressures and stress as he struggled and overcame every trial and every temptation that was flung his way. But now, what faced him in the next seven days, words cannot adequately describe. Words give no justice in their description to what lay before him in Jerusalem. Yet Luke does on numerous occasions, from Luke chapter 9 right through to our chapter this morning, he does on numerous occasions record the words that the Lord actually did use to describe that moment. And one such occasion is found just on the page we have open in Luke chapter 18, the chapter before our reading this morning, and commencing from verse 31. It's so true, this picture, that this verse from verse 31 to verse 34 paints of our Lord. Always selfless. Always concerned more with the needs of others and showing kindness and love and care and concern. And it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, Then he took unto him the twelve. I can just imagine that scene, brothers and sisters, as as the Lord gathers his disciples around him, the twelve. And he calls them closer to him. And there's Peter and, and there's Andrew and there's James and John, Nathaniel and, and Simon and Matthew and Judas. And the Lord gathers them all together like the good shepherd protecting his sheep and warning them now of coming danger. And they all heard the words which our Lord calmly spoke to them. As he said in verse 31, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And a couple of things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man may be accomplished. No, that's not what he said, brothers and sisters. We go to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished shall be fulfilled, shall happen, will occur exactly as all the prophets, every prophet had described. And our Lord, brothers and sisters, at the end of verse 31, used that word shall. And he's going to use it five times. You want to highlight from verse 31 to verse 33, five times our Lord knew definitely, certainly, conclusively that all things shall be fulfilled, shall be accomplished. And he goes on to say to his little group that had gathered round him in verse 32, he shall, he shall be delivered. You may want to put a little note in your margin that that word delivered, the Greek word means betrayed. And as our Lord looked around that little group of disciples, there they all were, and there was one standing in the midst, Judas, who would betray him. And there are others standing alongside of him. All the twelve on that night forsook him and fled. All the twelve betrayed him. And he was going to then be betrayed by the Jewish nation, his own people, and then by the Romans, and then by the whole world. He shall be betrayed unto the Gentiles, said the Lord, and shall be mocked. You may want to put a little note in your margin that that word mocked means to be absolutely jeered, to be ridiculed, to be insulted. And verbal insults, brothers and sisters, were to be flung 
into the face of our Lord. Not only was he to feel the verbal insults, but he also went on to say he would be spitefully entreated. You may have put a little note in your margin that that means to be violently abused and mistreated. The verbal insults were flung and now the physical abuse was felt by our Lord. And finally, end of verse 31 says he would be spat on. And spitting isn't intended to hurt the body. It can't. Spitting is intended to degrade, demean, dishonour, and to break down the soul, to make one feel absolutely useless like dirt. It's the most disgusting and the most revolting act that one can do to another. How accurate was the Lord when he said, all things written by the prophets shall be accomplished. And you may want to put a little note in your margin, Isaiah 50, verse 6. Let me read to you what Isaiah 50, verse 6 says. And imagine our Lord as a young boy and then into his teen years and now as he's facing Jerusalem. Imagine him reading these words, Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked out the hair. He gave his cheeks, brothers and sisters, to those who grabbed his beard and ripped it from his face. The prophet goes on to say, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And everyone and everybody would be involved and caught up with the swirl of hatred, the physical and the verbal abuse against our Lord. And even Pilate, as he said to the nation, behold the man. The whole nation turned on him and said, let him be crucified. And Isaiah continued when he said in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, he went on to write, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Our Lord was prepared to resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, to face all things for each of us sitting here or listening this morning. And it didn't just stop there. The descriptions continued as the violence increased in verse 33. The Lord went on to say, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. He would be flogged and whipped. And we can't even begin to imagine that pain. And the intensity, brothers and sisters, depended on the mood of that Roman soldier who stood there with that whip in his hand. The soldier who would apply those lashings. And the soldier would use a whip braided with leather thongs and interwoven was balls of iron. And with that whip, brothers and sisters, this soldier would strike the body and those iron balls would cause deep bruises and contusions which would burst open the skin as each lashing and each blow fell to the body. And the back would be so shredded 
that in some instances it has been documented that parts of the spine were exposed by the deep, deep cuts. And the whipping would have gone all the way down from the, soldier, from the, soul, from the shoulders all the way down the back, right down to the back of its legs. And Eusebius describes a flogging by saying the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles and sinew and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. And many people would die just from that kind of beating. And at a minimum, the victim would experience tremendous pain and go into hypovolemic shock. Hypo means low, vol refers to volume, and emic refers to blood. So hypovolemic shock refers to a person suffering the effects of losing large amounts of blood. And this does four things, brothers and sisters. First, the heart races to try to pump the blood that isn't there around the body. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting and collapse. Third, the kidneys close down. And fourthly, the person becomes very, very thirsty so that the body clay craves for fluid to replace the blood that has been lost. Jesus was in hypovolemic shock as he staggered up the road to the execution, carrying his cross until he finally collapsed on the road under the enormous struggle. There is no question our Lord was already in serious to critical condition even before the iron nails were driven through his hands and feet. But he was still able to somehow, through the intense pain, to think of others. When he voiced those amazing words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the pain was absolutely unbearable. In fact, it was literally beyond words to describe. And the Romans had to invent a new word to describe the effects of this punishment. And it was the word excruciating. Derived from the Latin excruciating, or ex means intense or to the stream, to the extreme and cruciate out of the cross. So it literally means the overwhelming, intense, severe pain of the cross. And the Romans had to create a new word because there was nothing in the Italian language that could describe the intense pain caused during crucifixion. And we finish verse 33, brothers and sisters. We notice there's a pause as the Lord said, they shall scourge him and put him to death. There's a pause as he paused. And as our Lord gathered his thoughts, he then said, and the third day he shall rise again. This is the fifth shall, the fifth grace, a little glimmer, a little, little glimmer of hope. He shall rise again, said the Lord to his bewildered and confused disciples. But when it actually happened, brothers and sisters, when that excruciating event occurred seven days later, such was the intensity and the atrocity and the cruelty and the inhumane treatment of such an innocent man that when the disciples saw what had happened, those final words in verse 33 concerning the resurrection on the third day, to the disciples it wasn't even an option to consider. 
Such was the ferocious brutality that was leashed and ruthlessly outworked on that day that even those events so filled the mind of the disciples that they forgot that last sentence completely. Our Lord endured the cross and he despised the shame for each of us sitting here or listening this morning. Yet even with that graphic knowledge of that unbelievable, unthinkable suffering and pain, even with all that weighing heavily upon the shoulders of our Lord and etched into his face, as he viewed that moment, brothers and sisters, as he set his face like a flint, as every step drew him closer and closer to that inevitable moment, our Lord still would be thinking of others. And with all that that he was about to face at Jerusalem, each step, as we said, brought him closer and closer. He still looked for the little things, the unnoticed actions, the little moments of inspiration in the lives of those who would cross his path in this last week. And there are only two examples that Luke uses, two personal examples that Luke uses that would have given our Lord so much encouragement. One of them is in our reading this morning and the other is in a few chapters time in Luke chapter 21. And there are two examples, these two examples that inspired and encouraged our Lord, even though he was facing the greatest intense excruciating trial of his life. And his purpose and his mission was always in the foremount and prominent in his mind as it's described in verse 10 of our reading this morning. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And two examples our Lord saw, brothers and sisters, which gave him so much encouragement and motivation to face what was looming before him in Jerusalem. And these two examples for us this morning, we can look at and we can learn. And they can help us as we too face a new week. As we too face seven days in each of our own personal journey. So that we can leave this place this morning, brothers and sisters, and likewise set our face where we can determine and resolve in this week ahead to remember these two examples. One was a man and the other was a woman. One was named, the other was unnamed. One is in Jericho, the other is in Jerusalem. One was extremely rich. The other had just two mites. One was the chief. The other was the widow. One of them speaks. The other is absolutely silent in scripture. One was looked upon and loathed. The other was not even noticed. She could have been invisible. One was up a tree, balancing on a branch. The other was in the temple, brushed aside and totally ignored. Both were small. One physically and the other socially. Both were lost. Lost in the crowd of humanity. Yet both came under the view of our Lord who came to seek 
and to save those who are lost. And our link, brothers and sisters, is in the action of our Lord. Our link between these two is in the action of our Lord and in his keen observation on that day. Let's read together Luke chapter 19, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw. Let's now just turn over to Luke chapter 21. And here's our link, Luke chapter 21, verse 1. And our Lord looked up, and verse 2, and he saw a certain poor widow. And the link between these two examples that Luke uses, brothers and sisters, is our Lord is always observing and attentive and perceptive and watchful. And on both occasions, when our Lord looked up, he saw what others would have missed, what others never saw, what others simply didn't deem important. And the Lord notices the little things, the little things that occurred, and that gave him enormous encouragement. And even though the crowds were swirling around and the noise and the distraction and the demands and the requests, our Lord looked up and he noticed the unnoticed. He looked up and he saw the ignored and the shunned and the despised and the rejected and the lost. And he saw, brothers and sisters, those whose society looked down on. They are the individuals that our Lord looks up at. And 2,000 years later, brothers and sisters, he still notices the unnoticed, the little things in, in each of our lives he is aware of, our motives and our actions and our thoughts and our words and all those little things that we have done in his name in this past week. And two people would cross the path of our Lord in this last week leaving two lessons that we all can take to heart that direct us to this central point of our gathering together, the bread and the wine this morning. For one of those examples, we will read that he was told to make haste and come down, and he received him joyfully. And such actions, brothers and sisters, remind us of the lessons displayed and represented to us in this bread. As we are drawn this morning in haste, due to our need, and identify with our Lord with the lessons that are displayed and represented in the bread. That's the lesson we will take from Zacchaeus this morning. And the other is the record of that poor widow woman who gave her all. As we take the wine shortly and as we pause, as we lift it to our lips, and it reminds us of our Lord, who likewise gave his all, his life, and that's the lesson we will see in the widow this morning in the wine. Two examples, two great examples, two lessons, two wonderful encouragement to our Lord himself. As he looked up at those two and our Lord was powerfully reminded of his own commitment. And of course, brothers and sisters, the echo of our Lord looking up to Zacchaeus and to this poor widow woman continues in Luke chapter 21 verse 28 and he encourages each one of us likewise when these things begin to come to pass he says to us this morning look up 
and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. But I wonder on that day, I wonder if our Lord, when he looked up and he saw that widow in Luke chapter 21, I wonder whether a tear filled his eye as he remembered his own mother Mary, who too was a widow. And as the Lord looked up and as he saw that poor widow in the temple shuffling along, I wonder whether the life of his mother momentarily just flashed before our Lord's eyes as he thought of the long struggles and the difficulties that Mary too had endured. She had been shunned in those early days from all her neighbours and all her friends, but all her life Mary, the handmaid of the Lord, truly had given her all from the moment she said to the angel Gabriel, be it unto me according to thy word. Yet our Lord knew that even for Mary the greatest heartbreak was about to unfold. As in the next few days, the final thrust, the hardest to take, the twist of that sword would pierce right through Mary's heart, leaving her again a broken-hearted widow with the images and the pictures of her son that she could never, ever erase. So as our Lord, brothers and sisters, as he focused on that widow in the temple and as his eyes followed her determined steps, as he silently watched her move through the crowd and stop before the collection box and give all that she had, all that she could, two mites, two minute little coins, they wouldn't even make a sound as they floated down the collection box. Two mites, invisible to the world, but seen by the Son of God. And what a wonderful commendation, our Lord, about this unnoticed, unnamed, poor little widow woman. He says in verse 3 of Luke 21, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. And how much did her actions encourage our Lord right at that moment? As he looked up and as he watched that little widow woman make her way pushed and shoved and brushed aside as she weaved through the crowd right to that collection box and she gave her all. And he knew too that he in a few days, just like that widow woman, would be called upon to give his all for the crowd of humanity. And it wouldn't have been easy for that poor widow to put in the only two might she had. But she didn't hold back. She stood by that box holding in her frail little hand two mites. And as she watched all the rich men pouring in their coins, that did not deter her for a moment. And courageously she stood forward, possibly ignoring the sneers and the jokes and the jeers and the sniggers, and she gave her all. She put in. She didn't hold back. And putting in 
or holding back, brothers and sisters, was a difficult decision for that woman and it is just as much a difficult decision for us here this morning. The challenge for each of us is to put in or to hold back. You know how easy it is at times to justify our actions in, in not rushing in but holding back. But then when the moment's passed and the opportunity's gone, uh, we would have, we, we could have, we should have, but we simply held back when we should have put in. And we hold back, brothers and sisters, for, for many reasons. We, we may be embarrassed and feel that what we give is so insignificant, so we hold back and we can't tight, tightly grasp what we could have given. Or we might feel that others have, have so much more to give and what they give seems so much better so we don't let go and we hold back. Or we might feel that I've already given, I've given and I'm still giving, so this time I'm going to hold back. Or we might feel that others need to learn to give, so we hold back out of spite. Just to teach someone else that they should give a little too. And by holding back, brothers and sisters, that's when we stay on our seats and we don't stand up and we leave it to others. That's not what the Lord saw when that little old widow crept through the crowd and gave her all. And in so doing, left such a lasting impression and an ongoing lesson for generation to generation to generation. You know, brothers and sisters, putting in does not have to involve money. Putting in can be done in a variety of ways, whether that's helping others out, encouraging others, contributing, supporting, bearing one another up, or simply just listening and caring. It's seeing a need, brothers and sisters, and it's rising to the occasion and it's putting in. And one day, very, very soon, we personally will be able to thank that unnamed, unknown, unnoticed, poor little widow woman. And we can go up and we'll be able to thank her for her example. Well, there was another example who our Lord looked up on at that day. And of course, back in our reading for this morning in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And what a moment this really is. What, what a life-changing moment for the little man in our story. The little man who nobody loved. The little man who nobody in Jericho would ever look up to. In fact, the little man they always tried to avoid whenever they saw him on the streets. But even though he was so small, he always seemed to get in their way. And consequently, he was the stumble, the grumble and the mumble of every conversation in what they had to give to that chief rich publican. But the shortest man in this story, brothers and sisters, is going to stand tall. He's going to tower over the top of all the crowd because on that day, that life-changing day, that once-in-a-moment experience, our Lord stopped and he looked up at him. And he told Zacchaeus that he would abide in his place on that day. And that moment had a dramatic effect on the life of Zacchaeus. Instead of the passion to get, to get whatever this life offers, the moment he met his Lord would change his outlook completely. And no longer dominated by the passion of get, 
his life would be more the passion to give. Not to get for the present, but to give for the future. And we're going to see in this little story, brothers and sisters, Zacchaeus, his eagerness and his desperation to see the Lord Jesus and to experience the Lord on that day. Do we have those Zacchaeus moments where we will do absolutely anything and everything to see our Lord? where there will be no obstacle whatever that will come between us and our Lord, that we will climb right out of our comfort zone just to get a glimpse of the life of our Lord and to learn more of his ways. Well, the scene opens for us in Luke 19, verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. He was on his way out. He was heading out of town, brothers. This was really a last-minute opportunity, but Zacchaeus didn't know that. He didn't know that when Jesus went through Jericho on that very day, it was to be his last time our Lord would be in Jericho. The last time he would be seen in its streets. You know, if Zacchaeus had been a procrastinator, he may well have said, well, look, the crowd's going to be large today. I'll probably get shoved again right to the back of the crowd. It's too hard. Anyway, the Lord will be back. I'll just wait till he comes on another occasion. And if he thought that, Zacchaeus would have missed the great experience. He would have missed that life-changing opportunity if he had delayed and not acted there and then. And the fact is, brothers and sisters, that opportunities in all of our lives, in all of our lives, we won't always have that opportunity to keep coming back day after day, week after week, year after year, one day, That will be our last day. And many people go through life putting off their response to the call of God. If things are too busy, inconvenient or plain right, difficult, that moment they leave it to next week, to next month or even to next year. Right now, never seems to be convenient. And putting it off is a dangerous mindset because we do not know when we will have that last opportunity for us, brothers and sisters... It could well be this morning. Like our Lord, this may be our last week also. So in verse 1, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. You may want to put a note in your margin that Jericho means the place of fragrance. And behold, a certain man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' name means just or pure or innocent. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, as as little Zacchaeus was born and as his parents looked down on their newborn little son with absolute love and joy, and they called him the little pure one. However, as the years passed and his life as a tax collector, to many he became the furthest from purity and justice and innocency. But what a moment was going to take place, for in the place of fragrance, a little man would overcome the largest obstacle in his life and be purified, all because of his determination to come in contact with the master. And we too have gathered in this place around this table that demonstrates the fragrance of a sweet, perfect sacrifice. 
that has provided us with the means to overcome the greatest obstacle in each of our lives, the power of sin. And because of this man's influence in our lives, we leave here this morning purified and justified by the life of this man who came to seek and to save. Why choose us? Why choose Zacchaeus? Well, verse 2 continues and gives us one reason why you wouldn't want to choose to be Zacchaeus' friend or to seek out acquaintance with him because he was the chief rich tax collector. It says there at the end of verse 2, he was the chief among the publicans and he was rich. He was viewed by his countrymen as a traitor because he was doing business with a sworn enemy of Israel. He consented to work for the Romans and to exhort money from his neighbours and fellow Jews to pay the taxes and to live an opulent, rich lifestyle. He must have had the right background and credentials for the Romans' authorities to choose him, to put him in that position. A man whom the Romans understood. He was a very capable man to collect the taxes for Rome because this little man was just like a vicious, yapping little bulldog who would never, ever, ever give up and never let go. An ideal chief publican for the Romans. Yet there was something about this little man and his determination that caused our Lord to stop and to look up and to abide with him. And as the crowd was swirling around, the press was gathering around our Lord on that day, as he walked through the streets, there were those in the crowd who were curious, there were those who were critical, and there were those who were complaining. And it seemed impossible for Zacchaeus to get closer to the Lord as the crowd was growing larger and larger and larger. And he could have just given up without trying to get close, knowing that nobody cared for the little guy. No one would even let him move in. In fact, they might just do the opposite. And he could be injured and hurt. And he might have thought it's too hard. Perhaps he'll see someone else at a later date and, and just catch up with them and what they heard and what they saw and what their impressions of the Lord were and take their opinion and advice of what the Lord did and said. And he could have just turned away and headed home. But he doesn't. He's not deterred by the situation. He sought himself personally to see who Jesus was. He wasn't going to rely on anybody else to tell him what they saw and what they heard and what their words were about the Lord. He was not content to stand behind and just listen. And instead of going home, when every difficulty, every excuse, every obstacle was in his way, the short little man did not give up. And wasting no time, it says in verse 4, that he ran before and climbed up a sycamore tree. He ran ahead, brothers and sisters, and he scrambled up a tree and he waited patiently just to see, just to get a glimpse what desire and dedication this little man had. Just, just pause for a minute, though, brothers and sisters, and let's ask the question, who planted that tree? Years earlier... Somebody did something that they had no idea, no idea of what would occur in its branches of that tree years later. And somebody planted a tree and watered it and cared for it. And because of that seed that somebody had planted earlier, a life-changing event was about to occur. 
If that individual hadn't planted a seed, there would have been no tree and the story of Zacchaeus would never have occurred. Our life would never have been impacted. Our Lord would never stayed at the publican's house and provided the lessons to that tax man. In fact, our story would have finished in verse 1. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. But somebody planted a seed. Sometimes there are little things that we do that we don't fully realise their full import this side of the kingdom. We may plant a little seed today and have no idea of the consequences or the lessons or the impact that will be taught and learnt years later. It could be just a little word, kindly spoken, or a little action lovingly done, or a smile, or a text, or a card, that years later provides the change in somebody's life. It's what we put in now. It's not what we hold back that has an opportunity to bear fruit. And wow, what fruit was seen on that day in a sycamore tree, which is a fig tree in Jericho. You know, it's hard to imagine an accountant leaving the comforts of their office and, and venturing out on their street and scrambling and shimming up a tree in their suit and shiny shoes. But that's exactly what the chief publican did on that day, just to see Jesus. Extraordinary effort. Not a really terribly dignified thing to do, but this experience of going out on a limb would change Zacchaeus' life forever because he sought, in verse 3, to see Jesus. And there's little profit in seeing or knowing Jesus from a distance, brothers and sisters. We must get as close as possible, as often as possible, as consistently as possible as we can. And verse 5 starts off, and when. When Jesus stopped, brothers and sisters, and the crowd all milled around and the, and the dust settled and they're peering out from the fig leaves, balancing on a branch was this little publican Zacchaeus. And our Lord stops and he looks up and their eyes meet. And no doubt Zacchaeus may have began to feel a little uncomfortable. He would have experienced in the past how the people in that crowd would have treated him as a publican and he might have been afraid that that crowd would erupt into a huge laughing mob at the publican who was perched up in the tree. But the Lord calmly said to him in verse 5, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for I must, I must abide at thy house. And if Zacchaeus was too embarrassed and if he stayed put in that tree, the Lord's must would not have been fulfilled. But Zacchaeus, for him to receive the Lord, he had to respond. And there was no delay. He made haste, verse 6, and he came down and he received him joyfully. And I can just imagine, brothers and sisters, all of us probably have climbed a tree at some stage in our lives. And we all know the experience that climbing up a tree is often the easy part, getting down is so much harder. Yet Zacchaeus, he quickly descends from that tree and you can imagine the leaves breaking, the branches cracking as he let himself down and he comes down with joy, absolutely thrilled that Jesus has, was coming to his place. You know, Zacchaeus had been called many names in the past. So many. But it was a long, long time possibly since he'd heard his name pronounced in such tones of kindness and care. Zacchaeus. 
Make haste and come down. And what a response, brothers and sisters. There's no hesitation at all. And there are four powerful words that describe this little man's gigantic response in verse 6. He made haste. He came down. He received him joyfully. Just like Zacchaeus, we too this morning have come to seek our Lord. Even though in the past week we've all faced obstacles and obstructions and stumbling blocks that we have all struggled with, difficulties and weaknesses that have towered above us all, that, that made us feel very, very small because of who we are and what we've done. But like Zacchaeus, we too have come this morning to get as close to the Lord as we can, to get as close personally to the one who truly understands and who truly cares, to seek his love, his support, his strength, his help and his assistance and the forgiveness that he can only provide. And Jesus looks at each one of us this morning and those words spoken 2,000 years ago are equally vital and relevant to each one of us. Make haste, come down for today. I must abide at thy house. And our Lord wants to come into our house. He wants to abide in our hearts, not just for the day, but to abide, as that word means, to abide continually in our lives. You know, some of the last words that were recorded of our Lord in Revelation 3 verse 20 say, Behold, I, I stand at the door and I'm knocking, says Jesus. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And Jesus is saying that to us this morning, what he said to Zacchaeus in verse 5. Make haste. Don't put off, brothers and sisters, what we need to do. Come down, said the Lord. Humble ourselves at the feet of this one who we've come and we've sought to seek because he can save Make haste, come down today. We, we know not what the morrow may bring. Today, we're only just a breath away from meeting our Lord. I must abide, said the Lord. I must permanently be in your house. And today, this morning, right now, here, this moment, we need to open our hearts and to let our Lord abide in our lives completely. And like Zacchaeus, brothers and sisters, we need to respond. We need to do this likewise. And as the story goes on, we don't know what our Lord discussed with Zacchaeus on that day. It wasn't important. But what was important was his response and his actions. And he looked at his Lord and he was so deeply impressed by whatever our Lord said to him in that day that he says in verse 8, he stood and said to the Lord, and here's the literal Greek, here and now I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. And Zacchaeus promised to return whatever he had falsely taken from others. He would give them back the amount that he had wrongly taken. What a generous spirit. And a desire to change. And to make right any past wrongs. And with such a declaration, our Lord responded in verse 9, Today, this day, is salvation, is forgiveness of sins come to this house for as much as he is a son of Abraham. 
The past for Zacchaeus had truly been forgiven and the future for Zacchaeus was now a certainty. We too have that opportunity today to commit our lives, ever thankful for the life of the Son of Man who came to seek and to save those who are lost. May our God continue to bless us in the coming days as we wait patiently like Zacchaeus for that moment when our names also will be called and the Son of Man, the Son of God, will abide with us for eternity.